So I was five years old, and I went to Walmart with my mom. And I had seen around these duck head umbrellas that had recently come out. It was an umbrella with a duck head at the end of it. I thought it was awesome. And so she was trying on some shoes, and I thought, this is a great time to go and put matters in my own hands and find one of these duck head umbrellas. Well, needless to say, I got lost. I couldn't find where she was. And I don't even know how long it was. It was probably 10, 15 minutes, but it felt like an eternity. And I, I heard over the intercom, uh, we got a code orange, code orange, which means some kid is lost. We got to find him. And so I'm in Walmart. I'm crying. I can't find my mom. And this lady comes up, and she had a Walmart vest on. And she comes up to me. And she's like, are you Broderick? Which that made me know that she knew who I was, because nobody ever calls me that. That's my legal name, uh, Broderick. So she said, are you Broderick? Like, yes. And uh, she took me to my mom, and uh, lo and behold, I am here today, uh, <laughs> thanks, to this, thanks to this lady, uh, this Walmart employee. Now, you know, they were, rightfully so, people are, are uh, pretty... Uh, adamant about telling kids, hey, don't just go with a random stranger. Don't, you know, make sure it's somebody that um, isn't just going to kidnap you. And this lady, I remember, she had a Walmart vest on. I heard the code orange. She knew my name was Broderick. These were all things that pointed to the fact that she was somebody that could help me. And it helped me know, okay, I am safe if I follow her. The series that we have today is called The Four. And in the next four weeks, what we're going to do is talk about four messianic miracles. Now, there are many miracles. There was about 37 recorded in the Bible, but there are four that are considered messianic miracles. Now, what these were, were, um, you know, miracles weren't just performed by Jesus. There were many miracles performed by humans. But the thing was, there were four that the rabbis had said, hey, if somebody can do all four of these, it will be a sign that will point to the fact that this is the one who can save you. Uh, In a book called Understanding Jesus by Joe Amaral, it says, sometime prior to the coming of Jesus, the rabbis divided miracles into two separate categories. Those that anyone could perform if empowered to do so by God, and those reserved only for the Messiah. So we're going to talk about four messianic miracles. Today we're talking about number one, which is where Jesus healed somebody with leprosy. Now leprosy, what it was, it was a disease that started with a bacteria uh, called Mycobacterium leprae. What happened is if you got this, the first sign of knowing that you had leprosy is that you would, you would all of a sudden start to see some sores on your body. It attacked the nervous system, and what it would do is it would disfigure skin and your bones, and, and there was an apparent look that you had if you had leprosy. It was very obvious. It wasn't a good look. And the, uh, what you had to do is you had to stay outside of the city limits. You couldn't be with your family. You, had to be, you were outcast. And what happened is if you passed by anybody, they had to, the men, if, if they had leprosy, they had to cover their mustache instead, and they had to yell, unclean, unclean. So you have somebody that just looks like an outcast, treated like an outcast. Everybody was scared of them. 
And here is the first messianic miracle, Jesus healing a leper. In Luke 5, 12 through 14, this is where we see it. It says, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. So this is the first messianic miracle. Jesus performs this miracle and, and I'm sure people start to open their eyes and start to see, wait, hold up. This guy who's claiming to be the Messiah, he's, he's performed the first of the messianic miracles. So we're going to break this down and, and, and you know, I think it goes so much deeper than Jesus just healing a, a disease of the nervous system. I believe it goes much deeper than this. You know, in the Bible, leprosy is, is paralleled with what sin does in our lives. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to jump into that and see what leprosy did to the leper and what sin does to the sinner. The very first thing that leprosy did and what sin does in our lives is the first thing is that it isolates. It isolates. Leviticus 13, when, when they gave the, the rules, the laws of what lepers had to do, it literally said they must live in isolation. They had to stay outside of the city. They had to be alone. Anytime they're around someone, they had to yell unclean. They weren't allowed to get anybody close. They were separated from their family. We just had a... Um, uh, in June, we had a big youth event called the Drop Summer Kickoff, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but during this event, you know, during around this time, I'm pretty busy, and so in the morning, I, I, I tried to throw some clothes in real quick of what I could wear, and I threw in a black shirt. And the whole day, I'm like, I'm running around, I'm doing stuff, and and basically, before I go up on the stage, I'll change into into some clean clothes or what I think are clean clothes, and I uh, threw this black shirt in my bag and do you guys ever have it to where you wash a pair of clothes and you don't realize how long they're in the washer for and then you toss them in the dryer and they just smell terrible normally I, i'll smell and just make sure like okay this smells this smells clean it's fresh um this did not uh it, it you guys if you've ever seen like the original star wars with the, like the trash compactor scene like it it smelled like that um it was bad smelled like mildew. And so I'm about to get on stage and I put this shirt on and, all, and I realized like this shirt smells so bad. This is not good. But I wasn't too worried at first because I just had to come up on stage and the chairs were as far as they are from here and it wasn't that bad. Like people couldn't smell my shirt from the stage and, and so I had enough distance where it wasn't that bad. But then after, you know, I wasn't going to lock myself in a room. I, I went and hung out with some teens, and, and there was this obstacle course that we had that was awesome. That I went through like four or five times, and I have a condition called hyperhidrosis. Um, it's, where, it's where you sweat too much. Um, I actually learned that the other day, that what it's called, and, and I've been using it to make people feel bad for making fun of how much I sweat. And 
So I go through this obstacle course like three or four times. I'm drenched in sweat. I've got this shirt that smells terrible. And I'm like close to people. And I'm thinking, maybe it doesn't smell that bad. And then Josiah was like, there, something smells. <laughs> and I owned up. I was like, dude, it's me. Like I smell, I smell really bad. And you know, the thing was like when I had this, this, this shirt that smelled, I didn't want to be in proximity with people because I realized they're going to know that my shirt smells. I need to keep my distance. And that's the thing that sin does in our lives is that I think all of us at times we feel like a phony, we feel like a hypocrite. We think if people truly know who I am, what I really do, the thoughts that really go through my head, if they really know that, nobody's going to love me. So we try to keep this distance where we smile, yeah, everything's good, everything's great. But we don't want anybody to actually come close to us because we think, man, then they will find out who I really am. That's what sin does. It separates you. You can be in close proximity with people, but you don't really let them in. You don't let them know who you are. 1 John 1 says this, though. It says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, sin, want, it, like, sin makes us isolate ourselves from each other. We, when we sin, we believe the lie that, man, nobody's going to love you if they truly know who you are. And so what we want to do here at church and why we have small groups and why it's so important to get into a small group is because you're just simply saying, I'm not going to believe that lie. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to get in close proximity with some people to where I actually maybe let them know who I really am. And I let them know my faults. I let them know my insecurities. I let them know the difficult things in my life, how my marriage really is going, the, the things I truly struggle with. And I'll admit, this is really hard. It is so easy in this area, especially, to see people, to smile, to say everything's great, but not to truly come close to people. It's so easy for us to isolate ourselves. So that's the first thing that sin does and leprosy does, is that it isolates us. The second thing is that it twists. It twists what leprosy did is it would disfigure the, the bones and the limbs, and it would literally twist the limbs. You know, you would lose body parts, and they'd become, they would become contorted. Um, there's actually, I have um, two pictures. So that's, that's somebody that has leprosy. And as you can see, it twists the bones, and, and, and it contorts, and, and, it, and it makes it. Uh, and then go ahead and show the, the one of the feet there. So it's pretty brutal, and I, and I believe that leprosy, that the Bible was, God was very intentional when he wanted us to see leprosy as a physical representation of sin. We can, t we can take it off now. Um, the, but a visual representation of sin, because what sin does is it, it, it may not twist your bones and, and, and your limbs, but I firmly believe that the more that we sin, the more that it twists our mind the more that it changes our thinking. Hebrews 3.12 says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. 1 John 3.6 says, Anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin. 
But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. You see, when we sin, it contorts our brain, it twists our brain. The, uh, you know, scientifically, there are pathways that literally change when, when we are caught in a sin, when we continue to do the things that we know God does not want us to do. You know, they say with pornography, it's, it's, it's like pathways. It's like if you were to have a, a field uh, uh, of grass, and you were to take a bike and you ride over it once, it may not seem like much, but if you keep doing that day after day after day, it's going to create a path. That's what happens with our brain. It, it, they say that your brain is, is it's like plastic. It can be molded. And so the more that you stay in sin, the more that your brain is twisted and contorted to something that God never intended for it to be. And your brain literally tells you, if I want joy, if I want happiness, these are the things that I have to chase after. And so when we truly follow God, like it says in Romans 12 too, the renewing of our minds. The NLT version says changing the way that we think. The reason being is because when we sin, it twists our brain. It twists the way we think about God, and it twists the way we think about us. You know, it fills us with insecurities. And, and, and when you truly, um, just like this man, are, are, are healed, what God does is he restores your view of who God is, and in so doing, restores the view that you have of yourself. So that's the second thing is it twists the third is that it desensitizes. Desensitizes. What leprosy does is that it, it messes with the nerves to where it gets so bad to where you won't feel any pain at all. You know, there's stories of people with leprosy where, where rats will come up in the middle of the night and will literally eat away at their fingers and they don't even know. Because they, they, their nerves aren't aren't telling their brains, hey, there's something bad going on right now. It's not sending pain to your body. And so leprosy desensitizes us, and so does sin. Tony Dungy's son has a disease called congenital analgesia. And what it would do is it would keep him from feeling pain. And anybody like that has this disease, what happens is if there is a, let's say, a, a, a hot iron... You can literally put your hand on that iron and just keep it there because you're literally feeling no pain. Now, here's the thing. Do you still get the effects of what's happening? Yes, you do. But you're just not feeling any pain. And that's what sin does to us is the more and more and more and more that we do it, it desensitizes us to where we're still getting the effects of that sin. It's still changing our lives in a terrible way. But the more that we do it, the more it desensitizes us and the less conviction we get about it, and, and you're still getting the effects of it, but your brain is not connecting, man, this is not something that's good in my life. You know, pain is a good thing. Hebrews 3.13 says, You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Can you guys think about maybe there was some time that you did something that you knew was wrong and you felt that conviction? You know, it's like your face may have gotten hot or like you, for some reason you just feel sick because you know, man, I shouldn't have done this. But what's wild is when you continue to do those things, 
I think you feel it less and less and less and less. And you're kind of desensitized to it. And then you just are walking in a life that you never have been, you never should have been walking in. And you're kind of desensitized to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what sin does. It makes us numb to the things that, that we should never be doing. And so this is what leprosy did to the leper and what sin does to us. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus responds to the leper. So I think we can talk like, about how bad sin is, what it does in our lives. But I think if we just leave it there, we are, we, it's not even close to the full picture. Because I believe that you can leave with hope today no matter where you are in your life. No matter what you're walking through right now. I believe you can leave with hope because of how Jesus responds to the leper. I want us to look at these, though, and see how Jesus treats us as sinners, but then also how our heart should be for the outcast. So let's take a look at this. The first thing that we see is that Jesus loves the unlovable. Jesus loves the unlovable. You know, they're, they're, uh, you know Luke is the one that gives this account, this specific one that we read about the leper. And the reason I, I, I read it from Luke is because Luke was a doctor. And he's very adamant about saying that it was an advanced case of leprosy. He's saying not only does this man have the worst disease that's out there, he's one of the worst cases of this terrible disease. The worst of the worst. And he, and he says this, and so... I just want you to picture this in your brain. Here is this, this guy that's a complete outcast. Nobody wants to even be close to this guy. But this was actually right after the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is, is, is coming down. There's all these people. And imagine what's going on. Like the, the, I'm sure people are screaming. This guy's unclean. Get away from him. And this man comes up to Jesus. This man that had been an outcast that was, that was legally required to live outside of the city. He was supposed to have torn clothes and he had one of the worst cases of leprosy. So just imagine what he looked like. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus stops. He gives this man his time. He gives this man his care. He gives this man his love. He doesn't say, get away from me. Get clean. You know, like figure your, your stuff out and then come to me. No, he, he stops and he gives this man his time. This man that was legally not allowed to live in this city, Jesus stops and gives this man his love, his time. Now I want to park here for a second and just, just make it clear that, that Jesus makes a very clear distinction between the laws of the land and the love of his people. Government has to do what government has to do. They create laws. They do things that, that try to protect the people the best they can. Some of them we agree with. Some of them we don't. But no matter what political party you, you are in, no matter how you vote, how, whatever, that should not determine the way that you treat people. We are called to love. That's all we are called to do when it comes to our personal relationships with people. I think Jesus shows very clearly here that here is a man that was legally not supposed to be living in the city and he gives him a love and a care that is unmatched. 
So I believe that we as Christians, and I, and I know I'm probably stepping on some toes here, but we as Christians, we are called to love. That's our job. Government does what government does, but we are called to love. That is our response when we meet somebody, when we have somebody that is in need of care. And so just remember that. Remember how Jesus treats this man. So Romans 5, 7, it says this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. And what this is saying is that it is, it is giving a picture of how great the love of Jesus is because his love is not determined on who will love me back, who will give me something back, who will make this worth my time. You know, Jesus gives a true love where there is no hidden motives behind it. And I believe this should be our mindset when it comes to people. Man, Jesus, he was radical in his love. Mark 2.16 says this, But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners. So the tax collectors, you know, a lot of you guys know this, but if you don't, what it was is, is these tax collectors, why they were so bad is because when the people came to give their taxes, let's say it's a, it's a little old lady who owes $1,000, what the tax collector would do is, is look at what she owed and then add on top whatever he wanted to, to take from this lady. And he would say, okay, you owe $1,500. He'd give the 1000 to the government, and then he would keep the 500. And they were, they were rich, and they were, they were crooked. They were, they were just stealing from people. And so Jesus is, is eating with these people and other sinners. So the Pharisees see this, and they ask his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You know, Jesus associated with the outcast, and his love was not clean. It wasn't comfortable. It was messy. And I believe we are called into this same love. He mixed with people that were, that were unlovable. People looked at these people and they said, they are scum. I can't associate with them. And what Jesus said is, hey, guess what? I love them. I care about them. I want to have a relationship with them. You know, we are called to the same kind of love where it gets messy. Reading this book called Smart Cuts by Shane Snow. And in the very beginning of this book, he, he talks about the Super Mario Brothers uh, video game. And how originally what the record was was 33 minutes and 24 seconds to go through the entire game. But what happened is 22 years later, there was a guy who, who broke the record. The record was 33 minutes and 24 seconds. He beat it in 6 minutes and 28 seconds. And I, wanted, I was like, man, how did that happen? He said it was the warp pipes. I don't know if you've ever played it, but there's these big green pipes that you can jump in. Some of them have these, these plants that will kill you. Uh, but some of them were these secret pipes where you could skip levels. Now there's different theories as to why they had these pipes, but I'll sermon for a different day. Anyways, what would happen is you could jump into some of these secret pipes and it went from level, like level one, all of a sudden to world four, and then to world eight, whatever that means. But he uh, basically skipped over all these parts, all these worlds, 
to where he didn't even have to do it, and then accomplished it in 6 minutes and 28 seconds. And, and, and what I feel like we do as Christians, as followers of Christ, is we say, man, I want to follow Jesus. I want to love people like Jesus did. But we're looking for the secret pipes. We're looking for the way that we can skip over the messy love that Jesus has for people. The love of the absolutely unlovable. It's like, yeah, I'm going to love my kids and my wife and, and the people that are like me. But anybody where it's going to take some extreme effort and they can't give me anything back and their life is an absolute mess, I'd love to maybe find a secret pipe where I can kind of skip over that part. That's what, we, that's what we try to do, myself included. I think that following Jesus sometimes, like I, I have this mindset that it's going to be clean and easy and comfortable. Man, when you read the Bible, when you truly see what Jesus did, it was everything but. When you see him healing this leper, it was, every, it was anything but clean and easy and comfortable. You know, and I think, like, if you've looked at the numbers for, for the church in the U.S., it's not good. People aren't flocking to churches, and I believe the reason is because we have, come, we have fallen away from our mission. We've turned church into entertainment. It's all about, I want to go to the church that has the best music and the best speaker, and I feel the best, like, and, 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 I, and I have the most fun. But we forget about the mission, about loving the outcasts, the unlovable, saying these people that are, are just viewed as just the absolute worst, I'm going to love them. But a lot of times we want to skip over that. So guys, let's get back to the mission of what Jesus gave us. Who are the people that you know, the people around us that people have forgotten about, that nobody's speaking up for, that nobody loves? Let's find those people. Let's love those people because that's when love becomes unexplainable. That's when people look and say, man, only Jesus could be in that person. So he loved the unlovable. The second is that he touches the untouchable. Touches the untouchable. You know, I've skipped over this, this part of this passage so many times. And while I was studying, I realized that this is so important. Jesus reached out and touched him. I heard another pastor say that, that Jesus could have easily used his words to heal this man. Think about that. He could have easily said, hey, you're healed. And then after the man's healed, gives him a hug. He could have easily done that. But before the man was healed, he touches him. That's huge. Jesus reached out and touched this guy that was untouchable. I don't know where you are today, but you might be saying, Brody, you have no clue where my life is at. You have no clue what goes through my mind. You have no clue the addictions. I'm untouchable, and I want to let you know nobody is untouchable to Jesus. He touches him before he is healed. And that's what he does for us. Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What we do sometimes, we think, man, I got to clean myself up. I got I to gotta get good enough to get to God, and we simply cannot. This leper could not heal himself. He couldn't heal his own leprosy and then go to Jesus. He knew, I need to go to Jesus first and have him heal me. 
That's what Jesus does, though, is he touches the untouchable. Mark 2.17, this is right after the verse of saying, why does he eat with scum? It says, when Jesus heard this, so he overhears them saying this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The great news today is if you simply just say, I know I am a sinner. I'm messy. I can't clean myself. I can't heal myself. You are the exact person that Jesus is calling today. You know, people, uh, and, and here's the thing, and our response to people, they need to know that we love them not for who they could be, but we love them in their brokenness, in their dirtiness, in their sin, in their addiction, in that we love them. And us loving them is not saying, hey, I want you to stay in this. It's saying, I love you so much right as you are right now, at your worst point. And I love you so much, I want to see you living in freedom. But I don't have to wait for you to get to the freedom for you to get my love. And so think of, think of that in your mind, where you see somebody whose life is just, they are at their lowest point. Make sure that they know that you love them in that moment. Not, hey, when you start to find some freedom, give me a call. Then I'll show you some love. It's like, no, right here, right now, I love you in this moment. And I know God has better for you, but I love you right in this moment. There's a uh, documentary that just came out called Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's about Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you guys watched him as a kid, but um, he's, he was like, it was the most amazing show. And I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to be a blubbering mess when I watch it. But he was actually a Presbyterian minister. I don't know if you guys knew this. But um, what's so cool is that he influenced so many people with God's love just by the influence that he had, by doing things with excellence, by letting people know that they were loved. And he said this, I don't think anyone can grow unless he's loved exactly as he is now appreciated for what he is rather than what he will be. I'm going to show you guys a clip here in a second. And um, it's a guy named Francois Clements. And he was the police officer that used to be on Mr. Rogers' show. And um, he talks a little bit just about how he didn't quite understand what Mr. Rogers was saying. And then something happened. So check this out. Hmm. Francois Clemens was 24 years old, an aspiring operatic tenor, when Fred Rogers first asked him to visit the neighborhood. He walked around and showed me the tree, the clock, the castle, and I thought, well, all that's well and good. <laughs> but there was a part of me thinking, what does that have to do with me? I'm a ghetto boy. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, the steel mill. Guys that I grew up with gambled, they drank, they did other things that were not so positive, but they didn't play with puppets. I might even like to tell people how to fly. <laughs> Clemens says he didn't get Fred Rogers' message for a long time. That's why you're so special. And then one day... During that segment, we made eye contact. And he said, you know, I like you uh, just the way you are. You know, you make you every make day, a, day special such a special day. day. And I like you just the way you are. And something inside of me turned on, like it's turning on right now. And I thought, he's talking to me. We've just got that inside of us. And when we can know it for sure, it's such a good feeling. 
No man had ever told me he loved me. And he did. And I knew he meant it. I knew he meant it. All right, so what we see in this is that this guy didn't understand all the stuff, all the puppets, all the show. He didn't get it. But what he did get is when, when Fred Rogers looked him in the eye and said, man, I like you just the way you are. And, and he made him know, truly know that he was loved. And he had never heard that from a man ever. And there are a lot of people that, man, we, we, we have church, we have these worship services, we, we try to do things with excellence. They will not get it. They don't. If you say, hey, I want you to come to church, statistically 40% of people will consider that invite. 60% will say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going, thanks for asking. But what they will get and what you can bring them is the message that you love them right where they are. Not, hey, if you start coming to church or if you start believing the things that I believe, then I'm going give to you, give you the love. No, it is right where you are right now. Even if you never believe in God, I love you. Even if you never kick this addiction, I love you. Yes, I want you to live in freedom. Yes, I want you to know the one that makes life worth it. Yes, but right where you are right now, I love you. Jesus touched the untouchable. This man had probably never had a hug in years, had never felt the touch of anybody in the longest time. And there are so many people that are walking life that way. They need that feeling that they are loved. And we are called to do that. So God touches, or Jesus touches the untouchable. And the third is he restores the irreparable. He restores the irreparable. Only Jesus, the Messiah, could do what he did. Up until this moment, all this guy could do was manage his pain. All he could do was, was quarantine himself and try to keep it from spreading. But he knew that only Jesus could do what he did. Jesus said, I am willing. Be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. You know, our good works cannot save us. They can't. It's like a dead person trying to clean up their corpse. It does nothing. We cannot clean ourselves up. We cannot heal ourselves. It can only be done by the work of Jesus. You know, the, um, in Romans 5.10 it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies... We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. You know, Jesus gives us a heart transplant. He brings life to us when we are dead. We cannot do it ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't be good enough to get to God. And God knew that, so he came to us. It's funny because Jesus says, you know, he tells them, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to, to go to the priest, let him examine you, and take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. And what's, what's so funny is that this was a messianic miracle. And so we see some random times where, where leprosy is healed. But for a long, long time, I firmly believe there was no lepers who were healed. So I think of this, this priest, you know, who was, who was at the temple, you know, and this guy comes up to him. He's like, hey, 
Uh, I was just healed of leprosy. Um, we got to do the offering that, that happens when a leper is healed. And I don't know if this priest went to like seminary or anything, but I'm sure like there's a part in the book where it's like, hey, this is what happens when lepers are healed. And he's like, I'm just going to skip over that. Like that's not going to happen. Like it hasn't happened in like hundreds of years. I'm just going to skip over. And then he sees this guy. He's like, oh boy, like I got to learn this. Um, and we got, and, and, and it was something that had not been done. Because it couldn't happen with human strength. It could only happen with the power of Jesus. The love of Jesus. What's broken in your life and feels irreparable? What in your life do you feel like, I just need to manage it. I just need to quarantine it. I just need to keep it from spreading. I want you to know that, that Jesus restores the irreparable. Matthew 5.17 says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus did what the law could not, and it is make us, make us uh, uh, clean, make us pure, make us holy. Only the blood of Jesus could do that. We no longer have to just try to cover our sins. Jesus is the, is, the, is the sacrifice. God has a plan for your life. He has a future for you. There may have been a time where you believed that for yourself, but, but you've gone on with life. Things have happened. You believe, man, maybe that's for somebody else, but it's not for me. I want you to know that God has a plan for you. He loves you where you are right now, and he has freedom and purpose. And he's going to use you to make a difference. He's going to restore that which can't be repaired by your own good. He wants you to live in his promises. And, and when Jesus came, what he's saying is there was a standard we could not reach. So Jesus didn't come and say, ah, forget the standard. He said, no, it's still there. What I'm going to do is I know you can't get there. So I'm going to live at that standard and I'm going to give my life in your place. And what's left right now is your response. This leper, when he met with Jesus, he could have said, ah, oh, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to keep trying to do things on my own. I'm going to try to heal myself on my own. I'm good without you. I'm a strong guy. I can get through this. I can do it. And that's what we do though. We say, you know what, Jesus? I get that you're saying that you offer this, but I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do it on my own. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to serve enough. I'm going to come to church enough, and I'm going to do enough good things to where you will accept me, to where you will receive me. But God is saying, no, no. It's impossible for you to reach perfection. I know that. That's why I am offering you my healing, my life, my love today you have the opportunity to receive that to accept it to receive the love of the Messiah the saving grace of the Messiah so we're going to pray here in a second and if that's you I just want you to pray with me and all you're doing is just saying God I cannot do this on my own I can't I can't be good enough to get to you. I can't, I can't 
do enough good things to outweigh my, my, my sins. It's saying, Jesus, I'm accepting your death, your healing, your love in my place. If that's you, I want you to pray with me here a little bit. It's not magic words. It's not a magic formula. It's just a belief in your heart knowing, man, only Jesus can do this. I'm going to follow him with my life. So let's pray.